Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. I agree with Miss Heather. I think that is a powerful song, and especially the, the last verse that paints a powerful picture, I think, for us to understand the, uh, to help us understand just how, uh, how hard it is to understand the love of God, and that if the whole ocean was turned into ink and the sky was the parchment and you began to write you'd run your your ink would run dry before you got it all told and if I'm not mistaken in the church hymnal um, that I grew up here and sung from in it where it's listed in there and it may be in any hymn book it's listed in but there it says that that last verse was written by or found in a sane asylum by someone who had written it and I think that just makes it even more profound. And uh, so I've heard somebody just say one time, apparently they wasn't as insane as some people must have thought that they were. But certainly the love of God is so beyond comprehension this morning. And I thank God for it, for his faithfulness, the fact that his love is steadfast, and uh, it's sure. And uh, we can rejoice in that this morning. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you today to turn with me to the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter number 9. As you find your place, I'll say I appreciate the birthday song and uh, all the birthday love everyone has shown me. I am appreciative of that. It's uh, been an incredible year for me, and I'm thankful for God's goodness uh, that has been poured out upon me and uh, how His grace has been so sufficient. And I, I'm thankful for that this morning. But we are in Ezra chapter number 9. I want to read the entire chapter, if you will. As you find your place, stand with me in honor and reference to the word of the Lord as we read. We are continuing a study on prayer today, and uh, here we'll see an example of prayer, and it's uh, a very specific kind of prayer that we'll be looking at um, here this morning. The Bible says this, Now when these things were done, the princes came to me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations. Even the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves <clears throat> with the people of those lands. Yet the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard and sat down astonished. Then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of the God of Israel, because of the transgression of those that had been carried away, and I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice I rose up from my heaviness, and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God. And here's his prayer. And said, O my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee. My God, for our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespasses grown up into the heavens. Since the days of our fathers have we been in a great trespass unto this day. And for our iniquities have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, and to a spoil, and to confusion of face as it is this day. And now for a little space grace hath been showed from the Lord our God, to leave us a remnant to escape, 
and to give us a nail in His holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God and to repair the desolations thereof and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken thy commandments, which thou hast commanded by thy servants, the prophets, saying, The land unto which ye go to possess it is an unclean land, with the filthiness of the people of the lands, with their abominations which have filled it from one end to another with their uncleanness. Now therefore give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace or their wealth forever." that ye may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great trespass, seeing that our God has punished us less than our iniquities deserve and has given us such deliverance as this, should we again break thy commandments and join in affinity with the people of these abominations? Wouldest not thou be angry with us till thou hast consumed us so that there should be no remnant nor escaping? O Lord, God of Israel, Thou art righteous, for we remain yet escaped as it is this day. Behold, we are before Thee in our trespasses, for we cannot stand before Thee because of this. Father, we thank You for the day You've given us. God, thank You for Your Word this morning. Lord, I'm glad to know that it's powerful, and God, it can accomplish in our hearts and lives today what needs to be accomplished. Lord, we love You this morning. God, we honor You, and we want to... Open up your word, therefore, and study from it, God, in an act of honor and an act of worship. God, we believe this morning that this is your word, God, given to us from you. And so, God, we stand upon, upon it this morning without apology, without hesitation, Father, and I pray that you'd help me to speak your word with confidence, with courage, and with boldness. God, help me to preach it with accuracy and with integrity, Lord, so that what I say is truly your message to your people this morning. And Father, I pray that you'd use your word today. God, use it to create in us a response just like we read from Ezra. God, help us to see and understand the heaviness of our sin, the reality of our sin, the guiltiness of our own hearts today, and respond in the way that Ezra does. God, thank you for the guidance, the counsel, the wisdom that your word gives us so that we have a guide and a light for our path as we live and operate in this world. God, help us to our lives to be conformed to your will and to your ways as they're revealed in the scripture. Lord, if there's a soul here today that's lost, I pray for their salvation, that they would see Christ who died for them, that they would understand their sin, Lord, and then put their faith in the one who died in their place so that they can be covered in in your righteousness. Lord, thank you for everyone that's here today. Thank you for what you've done in their life to bring them to this point. Thank you for the goodness that you poured out upon each and every one of us. Lord, help us to truly hear your word today and receive it with humility. And in Christ's precious name we pray, amen. Thank you for standing this morning. You can be seated. The text that we come to this morning is quite different. The the connotation of the passage of Scripture is quite different than what we experienced when we looked at Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter number 1. Of course, that began our study in prayer, and I mentioned that's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. When I say favorite, it's a passage of Scripture that when I read, 
it comes to life for me and in my mind more so than maybe some other passages I read. It's always been a passage of Scripture that is special to me and speaks so loudly to me, as you might could tell as I was preaching those verses of Scripture. That it's a passage to me that is so it gives so much ground for rejoicing, so much ground for joy. I mean, we when we read First Samuel chapter number one, we see Hannah who is broken, Hannah who is in sorrow, Hannah who is in so much heaviness she cannot eat. But she goes to God with her request. She goes to God with her burden. Where the Bible says she pours out her soul unto the Lord. And I've mentioned such a powerful, I think, and such a precious description of what prayer is. And that's what Hannah does. But the joy in that, in that passage of Scripture is that God hears her prayer. And in those very same verses, before the chapter even concludes, we see Hannah no longer sad. Her countenance changed. And then as we read, she's holding her little boy in her arms. That's a passage that we rejoice in, which is part of where my tears were coming from. It's just a passage that is precious and special where we're reminded that God hears our cries and when we're burdened, we can go to Him. And that's what we're reminded of in 1 Samuel chapter number 1. It's just a passage of rejoicing once we understand that Hannah's request is taken to the Lord. God heard her cry and answered her prayer. Well, Ezra chapter 9 is, is quite different. Ezra chapter number 9 is a, is a passage of heaviness. And Ezra chapter number 9 is a passage that as we read and I think as we study and learn more about will naturally cause just a, a quietness and a hushness to come over the congregation if dealt with appropriately. Because it's, it's a heavy passage of Scripture. Unfortunately, the prayer of Ezra often sounds, I think, like foreign language to us. Ezra's prayer here is a prayer of confession as the result of truly felt guilt, embarrassment, and shame due to recognition and awareness of sin that had been committed. Ezra, as it's mentioned in the first five verses, there's sin. And then Ezra, in response to that sin, is broken. And the prayer that Ezra prays is due to that sin. It's a prayer of confession. And oftentimes our prayers don't sound like this. A lot of times our prayers are not modeled after this. Very many people maybe couldn't say or think of the last time they prayed a prayer that sounds like Ezra's. The book of Ezra opens to set some context. Cyrus is king and he's assigned, or he has signed a decree allowing Jews, they had been taken into captivity, and he signed a decree to let them go back to Jerusalem to build the temple according to a vision he had. Well then, he is removed from power and King Darius takes over and the work continues. But there's hindrances. People are trying to stop the work. And the inhabitants there in Jerusalem are trying to make conditions hard on the people of Israel. And they have King Darius check the records to make sure that, they, that, that the Jews really had validity to do this. That they'd really been given clarity to rebuild the temple there and King Darius finds the decree and finds that this truly was issued by King Cyrus, so he supports them in their building, and this is what occurs in chapters 1 through 6. When chapter number 7, a new king is in place, King Artaxerestus, if I am pronouncing his name correctly, and he's in charge. And this is when Ezra goes to Jerusalem, which is what we are, what is taking place in our context. He leads another group to go back and become part of the work taking place. The Bible says in chapter number 7 of the book of Ezra, 
Ezra was a godly man. It says there that Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Ezra was a godly man. Ezra, his heart was to go back to Jerusalem where he had been in captivity and go back to Jerusalem and help lead the people and help teach the people the statutes and the commandments of God. He was a scribe. He was a man who knew the law and who knew the statutes. And it was his heart to go back to be among the people of God who had went back to Jerusalem to teach them, to help them to grow, and to help them to carry out God's will for their life. Well, unfortunately, when Ezra gets there, things are bad. Things have taken a turn for the worse. He discovers, which is what chapter number 9 is, is telling us about as it opens, that people have forsaken God and they're intermarrying with the ungodly and partaking in their abominations. Unfortunately, to tell you, just to paint the picture of how bad the situation is, the Bible says at the end of verse number 2, Yeah, the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. So the people that you might expect to be better off, the people, the leadership, the people who you would think could be setting a good example and who would be setting an example to be followed, they're the, ones in the, they're the chiefest ones guilty of this trespass of marrying people among these nations, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites. The leaders themselves are involved in this abomination. And as the leadership goes, so the people go. So if the leadership are involved, and you can imagine how much it's rampant among the lay people there in Jerusalem. And so that's where the prayer of Ezra is birthed in chapter or verses 6 through 15. And before we begin to dive into his prayer, I think it's important to note, it's based on the scripture to note this morning that the importance of marrying a believer, if you are a believer. A lot of people, young people that it's not married, hear the instruction of the word. Of the Lord God had given His people commandment not to intermarry with these other nations for this distinction, because when they would marry into these other nations, then these other nations that would they would teach them their abominable things, they would lead them out of the things of God, they would influence them in a very ungodly fashion. Whereas God had called them out of that, God had expect them to be separated from that. God warned them not to marry into these pagan nations because God knew that that would draw them away from Himself. A lot of people maybe disregard this reality and this truth when they get married. They maybe begin to grow feelings for someone who's not a believer, who they know is not a believer. And maybe you, you approach it with this mindset, well, I will, I will influence them. I will win them over into the faith. They won't, they won't lead me away. They won't draw me away well, apparently God does not buy into that system. God warned His people, do not marry into these nations because they will influence you and lead you away from Me. And when they married into these nations, that's exactly what happened. They married in and they didn't lead the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites into following the one true God, but they led the people of God outside of the will of God and now they're committing all the abominations that these wicked nations were committing that did not know God. I think the Life Application Study Bible said it so powerfully. Spiritual agreement is more critical than social or physical compatibility. Many people discount this consideration only to regret it later. 
Don't allow emotion or passion to blind you to the ultimate importance of marrying someone with whom you can be united spiritually. One of the first things you should look for in a mate, young person who may not be married, is where they are spiritually. Your first characteristic should not be are they, how attractive they are, what kind of money they make, what kind of job they have, what kind of future they seem to have in the company in which they work. Those are not our primary concern as believers when we go to step into marriage. But whether, whether they have placed their faith in Christ. But as Ezra sees this taking place, the transgression that's happening, he is, he's broken. Bible says in verse number 3, when I heard this thing, Ezra gets, Ezra gets word that this has taken place, that God's people have completely disregarded His commandment. They've joined in with these other pagan nations who have influenced them in a wicked way. He says, I rent my garment, my mantle. These are signs of mourning, signs of, of brokenness. He says, I plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard, and I sat down, he says, I sat down astonished. Fortunately, there are some, in verse number 4, who feel the same way Ezra does. And Ezra says, Then were assembled unto me everyone that trembled at the words of God of Israel. So everybody who felt the same way Ezra did, everybody who saw the ugliness of this situation like Ezra did, they're joined together. The others who recognize God said, We're not supposed to do this. So they're trembling at the words of God. They joined together with Ezra because of this transgression of those that have been carried away. And he says, I said astonished. He just sits there in his brokenness until the evening sacrifice. And so then he arises from his heaviness. And after having rent his garment and his mantle and falling upon his knees, he spreads his hands, you see his posture unto the Lord, and then he begins his prayer of confession. And as we follow Ezra's prayer of confession this morning, we will learn how to model our own prayers of confession and be reminded that these need to be a part of our prayer life as well. We see Hannah's example. Hannah had a burden. Hannah had a need. What many people think of when they think of prayer is when I have a need, I take it to the Lord. And we see that as an example of prayer as we studied in the life of Hannah. But there are also prayers such as Ezra's, which is a prayer of confession. Do you know how to pray a prayer of confession. Do you realize this morning that these even need to be a part of your prayer life? Well, the text will teach us why prayers like this need to also be a part of our prayer life and will provide a basis for what that prayer should look like. And I, one thing I want you to notice and think about with Ezra is Ezra has just come. We, Ezra was a man that we read from chapter 7, verse 10, a man. Uh, seeking to follow God, seeking to live by God's will and God's way. Ezra, in other words, had not taken one of these pagan wives. Ezra was not guilty of this specific trespass, but Ezra, as he prays, I think a powerful, a powerful demonstration of, of, of the example Ezra says is Ezra saying us and we, and he's including himself in with this crowd of people. He's identifying himself with their sin, as where, whereas we, he didn't specifically take one of these wives himself. Ezra in this prayer is not asking for anything specifically, not like Hannah's prayer. It's just filled with confession. 
So I want us to look at these verses this morning and be challenged to model our own prayers after the, this one when, that's, when it's needed. One thing Ezra does is he expresses his shame before God. He says in verse number 6, after he spread out his hands unto the Lord his God, he's on his knees and he says, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespass has grown up into the heavens. The Bible mentioned that Ezra said astonished, and that word means to be appalled or stunned. It's like where we'd say he, he can't believe what he's heard. He can't believe that the people of God, who he's going to go in to talk about later, who God has allowed to go back, God has shown mercy to, and God has shown grace to, God has allowed them to be brought out of captivity. And they've come home to Jerusalem, to the land that God had dwelt with His presence, to the land that was so precious to their people. And yet they've come to this place and they've stepped right back in to the trespass and the unfaithfulness which led them to be carried off into captivity in the first place. Word mentioned, he says, I blush to lift up my face. That word means to be humiliated. Ezra, pictures given, he's, he's on his knees, his head is down. He says, Lord, I, I can't hardly even stand to look at you, knowing what has happened among your people. He acknowledges how, how evil, how faithful their evil had been. He says, our iniquities are increased over our head, our trespass is grown up into the heavens. Ezra is, is expressing his shame before God and doing something you and I often, I think, fail to do. Ezra has sensed his, the guiltiness of God's people before God. He says, Behold, we are before you in our guilt. So the natural question that arises is, is, are you and I ever ashamed before God? Do you and I ever blush before God? Certainly, we are as unfaithful at times as the people of Israel were who had went back to the nation, or went back within the land of Jerusalem. We are just as unfaithful at times, but unfortunately, our response is very rarely like Ezra's. There's no brushing the shoulder at sin for Ezra. Ezra couldn't respond to sin that way. Ezra has sensed the terribleness of sin, how ugly this sin is in the sight of God. Ezra's not making excuses. Ezra's not saying, God, I'm sure they would have married among your people, but all the women there, they don't look like the Jebusites and the Canaanites. Lord, they don't, they don't act like those women. Our women are all... So selfish. So Ezra's not making all these excuses. Ezra's not making up all these different things to try to excuse and make his sin seem lighter than it is. But Ezra says, God, no, our iniquity is before you. And God, I'm ashamed of the way we've acted. And Lord, I blush before you. And I can't even stand to look upon your face. Knowing our guiltiness is what it is. Ezra, there's an acknowledgement here that Ezra knows that God has set the standard. God has set the expectation. God has laid out what is right and what is true. And God, Ezra is saying, God, we have not kept your standard. God, we have fallen short. And God, our actions are wrong. And Lord, what you have said is right. 
And oftentimes we struggle to come to that place, but that's in essence what a prayer of confession is, is saying, God, you are right. God, you have set a standard, and God, I have failed to keep that standard. And in that acknowledgement, we realize it's not a lighthearted matter. A lot of times we try to give this excuse and that excuse, but that's not where Ezra's at. Ezra's just expressing his shame before God for the way that his, God's people have acted. Many times we will put our sin in the closet, if you will, or do our best to, rather than come to this, this heavy and broken place which Ezra has arrived at. But as Ezra carries on in verses 7 through 9 in his prayer of confession, he also recognizes God's grace through it all. He says, since the days of our fathers, so going away on back, likely referring to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, have we been in a great trespass unto this day? They're, they were a people known for their unfaithfulness. And for our iniquities, have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, and to a spoil and to a confusion of face as it is this day. Ezra's saying the whole reason our people were in captivity in the first place is because of our unfaithfulness in the past. And now, he says, for a little space, grace hath been shown from the Lord our God. So even while judgment had come upon the people of God, even while God had manifested His disapproval of their actions, he says, even in that, God has given us this space of grace to leave us a remnant to escape, to give us a nail in this holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God and to repair the desolations thereof to give us a wall in Judah and to Jerusalem. So Ezra is acknowledging the fact God has allowed us. Yes, we were unfaithful, and the whole reason we were in captivity under the rule of these kings of Persia is because of our unfaithfulness. But even in the midst of that, God has shown us grace, God has shown us kindness, and allowed us to go back to our homeland to be able to rebuild and repair the desolations that had, been, that had occurred when these enemy nations had initially came in and took over. So as we pray our prayers of confession, we acknowledge and we recognize God's grace that God, even in the midst of when judgment falls, God shows mercy and God shows grace even when His wrath falls. As Ezra, I love what Ezra says in verse number 13. He says, And after all this, all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great trespass, he says, Seeing that our God has punished us less than our iniquities, Deserve. One thing that we must keep in mind, I think, when we pray prayers of confession and model them after Ezra's, is Ezra realized that while God had sent them off into captivity, God had still been much, much better to them than they deserve. If God had wiped them off or eradicated them from the face of the earth, God would have been perfectly just 
in doing so. They had trespassed against the holy God. God said, do not do this, and they did exactly what He told them not to do. But Ezra says, God, even in the midst of that ugliness and even in the midst of that rebellion and that transgression, God, You have shown us grace and God, You have shown us mercy. And I think this morning, when you and I get a hold of what is happening here in the words of Ezra, you and I will understand God has treated us the exact same way when we understand the weight and the burden and the guiltiness of our sin, the fact that you and I are still still here, you and I will be reminded that God has been much better to us than we deserve. God has shown us much more kindness and punished us less than our iniquities deserve. Ezra understands how heinous sin is. The fact that you and I have not been eradicated yet is a testimony to God's wonderful mercy being shown to us. Because trespassing against a holy God is no light matter. But even in the midst of this, Ezra is able to, to see the goodness, the mercy of God. And certainly you and I see that so clearly in Christ. For you and I were yet in our trespasses and sins. God loved us. God sent His Son to die for us. God showed us a mercy. God has shown us grace. And Ezra acknowledges that goodness that God has shown them and allowing them to come back. But he says, as he goes on in verse number 10, which will teach us this morning to, as we pray and model prayers of confession after Ezra, we'll remember not to take God's grace for granted. So while we recognize God's grace and God's goodness even in the midst of our unfaithfulness, praying true biblical prayers of confession will keep us from this mindset, the mindset that sounds like, well, I'm saved, I can do whatever I want to, it's really not a big deal. A true prayer of confession will remove that mindset from us. Ezra says, and now, O oh our God, what shall we say after this? Maybe you've heard somebody, or maybe as a parent you've argued to your child and said, do you have anything to say for yourself when they've done something they shouldn't do? Many times they, I mean, if they're smart, they probably say, they either sit, stand there quietly or shake their head no if they're smart. Well, that's kind of, I feel like we're edged that. Lord, what can we say? He says, what shall we say? After this, God, I have nothing we can argue, no, no excuses to offer. He says, we have forsaken thy commandments. God, you were kind to us, you were gracious to us, you allowed us to come back to Jerusalem, this remnant. You have given, you, and your sovereignty have caused these kings of Persia to allow us to go back to Jerusalem. But Lord, even in that kindness, we've forsaken your commandments. In verse 11, he restates what this commandment is. He says, this is a commandment that was given by the prophets, and the commandment was this. The land unto which ye go to possess it is an unclean land with the filthiness of the people of the lands, with their abominations which have filled it from one end to another with their uncleanness. This is why God told them not to intermarry with these people, because these people did not know God. They had caused this land to be filled with uncleanness. So God says, do not intermingle with them. You are a holy people. You are a peculiar people. You are a set-apart people. So he says in verse 12, Therefore give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace 
or their wealth forever, that ye may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. So to keep them a pure people and a holy people, God says, do not intermingle and intermarry with those nations. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds, he says, and for our great trespass, seeing that our God has punished us less than our iniquities deserve and has given us such deliverance as this, should we again break thy commandments and join in affinity with the people of these abominations? Wouldst thou, thou be angry with us till thou hast consumed us so that there should be no remnant nor escaping? He recognizes in that question the fact of the just anger of God for their unfaithfulness and that when they went back they became guilty of the very things in which they had been taken off into captivity for. God, would this not stir up your anger that you would consume us so that there is no remnant. There is no people here in Jerusalem anymore. But he says, O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous for we remain yet escaped as it is this day. Behold, we are before thee in our trespass. Again, there's no excuses. There's no, you know, it's really not that big of a deal. It would be all right. There's none of that in Ezra's voice. It says, God, we're, we're before you in our trespass. And he says this. He says, we cannot stand before thee because of this. Ezra knows that to continue in to continue in sin and to continuously return to sin is unacceptable in the sight of God. When you and I pray genuine prayers of confession, it reminds us of that. The unacceptability in God's sight for you and I to continue in sin, to constantly return to sin, it's unacceptable in the sight of God. Many commentators will say where Ezra's not saying here, where it's not verbatim written, God show us mercy. What Ezra is appealing to is the mercy of God because he says he knows that they have, no, they have no, nothing to offer. They have no excuse to present. They says, God, we're guilty. And so in that's the implication of God, we need mercy. And certainly as we pray in, our, in recognition of our sin and confess our sin and our guilt and our shame before God, there must be an appeal for mercy. And in this prayer of confession, as Ezra chapter number 10 will show, and I challenge you to read it sometime, not taking God's grace for granted will lead to repentance, as can be seen in chapter number 10. Chapter number 10, chapter number 10 is a powerful, powerful response to the prayer that Ezra prays. You know what the people do? They come together. They agree to put away the pagan wives that they've had, even, even the ones that they've had children with. If you look at verse number 44 of chapter number 10, it says, All these, at list, you can see the names there. All these had taken strange wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. But chapter number 10 is the people coming together to say, to repent, to change from their wicked behavior. And in doing so, in fulfilling that repentance, they were willing to put away the wives that they had taken from these pagan nations, even the ones in which they had children with. There's repentance there. A prayer of confession that does not lead 
to a change in behavior is not a true prayer of confession. You can see in Ezra, Ezra has no desire to go back to, to this sin. Ezra, Ezra senses the heinousness. Ezra senses the ugliness and the sorrow that sin brings. And you and I today need to experience and understand the same. The heaviness of sin when we've identified it in our life. And the proper way to respond is to confess and to repent as chapter number 10 shows. I love what Matthew Henry said or pointed out. He said, though our sins reach to the heavens, which is what uh, Ezra mentions in verse number 6, he said, our trespass has grown up into the heavens. And so Matthew Henry said, though our sins reach to the heavens... God's mercy is in the heavens. So if you need to pray a prayer of confession today, if you sense the heaviness of your guilt before God, let me give you the good news. There's mercy for you. This goes for you this morning. If you are lost and have never been saved, there's mercy for you. Through confession of sin, recognition of sin, repentance of sin, by putting your faith in Christ, you can be saved. You can be set free from your guilt, the heaviness of your sin, the iniquities of your life. You can be separated from those things and robed in the righteousness of Christ. But even for a saved person, there will be times where we need to pray prayers of confession. We don't lose our salvation, but it's prayers that acknowledge areas of sin in our life where we have the same heaviness, the same brokenness of Ezra. I thought this passage of Scripture so fitting for where we are as a church as we stand together this morning and, and uh, our musicians come around. The reason I say that about it being fitting for where we are is <coughs> what, what you could say happened as a consequence of Ezra's prayer is revival came to the people of God. As chapter number 10 showed, I get, showed gave a little small example but the people of God respond to Ezra's prayer of repentance. People of God come together and they're willing to put away their wives that they had taken from these pagan nations. So revival came to the people of God. The revival that occurred started with Ezra's prayer in chapter number 9. Somebody being broken over sin. Somebody sensing the weight of sin in their life. That's where it started. Yes, he had a crowd of people in verse number 4 that were assembled unto him, everyone that trembled at the words of God of Israel. You can say it started with Ezra. It started with a small group of people. It started with his prayer, and then revival came. So in following the biblical model, I think it would be a good starting place for revival. As ours looms ahead of us here in a few months, I think a good starting place for revival is when people come before God in shame and confession over sin that's present in their life. If you need to come and pray this morning, if God has dealt with you and there's, you need to pray like Ezra did, I urge you to be obedient to the call of the Lord upon your heart this morning. If you want to pray that as God sent revival to the nation of people there in Jerusalem, that God would do the same for us. 
as we look forward to that here in a couple months. As Mark comes around and leads us in a song of invitation, if you need to respond to the word of the Lord today, please be obedient to him. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.